Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. listeners we are here in a pub in ireland before official opening hours we are in a pub it's an early house we are in slatteries on capel street uh so welcome welcome to our podcast uh before i start i'm just going to go through all the usuals like follow subscribe on youtube we are beer ladies podcast on youtube and then on twitter insta facebook at beer ladies pod um Please like, share, tell all your friends, and listen. So, here with me today, I have Lisa. Hello. I have Erica. Hello. I have Tandy. Hello. And uh, we're on location. You can hear the background noise. This is genuine, real pop noise that you are listening to. Yeah. Might even hear a coffee machine because it is like stupid early in the morning. (laughs) I know. And uh, there was a little bit of welding or something going on oh my gosh. earlier on, so I'm hoping that doesn't uh, interfere. I don't know what that was doing in, a, in, a, in an early house. Um, and uh, at this episode, we're going to talk about all different types of pubs, because the early house is, uh, I don't know, is it unique to Ireland or not? I think it's unique to, to places where people work early, which is probably everywhere in the world. Shift work. Shift yeah. work, yeah. 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 Okay, so we'll start with what are we drinking? <laughs> <laughs> We're in a pub in Dublin, so many, though not all of us, are, are on the Guinness. Yep. Yes. Yep. Guinness here, Guinness for Erica, Guinness for Lisa. We're all on the Guinness, fresh fresh from the tap, not even from a can. And I'm on the Five Lamps Pale Ale. Indeed. Um, yeah, not a lot of craft selection, I suppose, but uh, okay, it's okay. You're in a pub. We're these from 7 a.m., so I think that's, you know, that's... And I, I think... Um, not just the the dock workers, but you would get a lot of tourists here. Um, if you look at Untapped, saying this is my first pint in Ireland, oh, and nice. often Americans would come here in the morning and have their full Irish breakfast. Um, we just had a breakfast here, so good morning. We did, <laughs> we did. And yeah. it was very tasty. It was. It wasn't. Yeah, it was lovely. It wasn't just you know your typical Irish breakfast. No, it no. was like you know we had to have the style with everything. <laughs> yes. But I've got a bit soda bread, so it was still Irish, which I'm not sure. Look at that, guys. <laughs> I now have FOMO. FOMO. <laughs> it's okay, next time. We'll just have to come back. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so, we have been hard at work researching all things pub, pub based and all different types of pubs. Mm. So, uh, who wants to share their knowledge with us first? Um, I'll go first. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, I know we had an episode on prohibition last season, mm-hmm. but. I'm American, and I would like to speak a little bit about speakeasies. Um, you may know there is the 18th Amendment that passed in 1920, and this led to 13 years of prohibition in the United States, where it was illegal to sell, transport, or make alcohol. And the 21st Amendment um, led to the repeal of this restriction in 1933. So during this time period, um, there would have been underground speakeasies, and I read on an NPR article that for every one legitimate pub that closed, there are about six speakeasies that opened. Oh, wow. 
That's cool. That's supply and demand. That's <laughs> supply and demand. You're right. And drinking didn't stop during this time. Um, it was just pushed into more secret yeah. venues. And there would have been thousands of these pubs in New York City alone by 1925. Um, and the bootleggers were able to meet the demands. Uh, there were also some gangsters involved. And in terms of the etymology, um, I read on Wikipedia that in addition to speaking easily, uh, they were also told, the patrons were told to speak softly. Um, these places were also called smugglers' houses or shops, blind pigs or blind tigers. Um, in fact, that. there is a blind pig speakeasy. In Dublin? Yes. Yeah. A blind tiger in New York. Oh! And I wonder, were they told to speak softly so that, like, people couldn't detect it and report them? So, they would have been very small, and there would have been little to no entertainment allowed, so you wouldn't really find um, live music being played. And the pig reference would have been um, to the police, um, the police (laughs) turning a blind eye. (laughs) So now, um, a lot of these would be mostly, like, vintage cocktail bars and because of social media they're often advertised so they're not necessarily and they're not underground anymore the one in Dublin is it is actually in a basement level (laughs) Um, and you have to know kind of a secret knock yeah you kidding I heard that that's so cool Um, the first one I ever went to well it's on Suffolk Street um, but I don't want to share too much because it is still a bit hush hush ooh (laughs) feel true I went to one called Saloon in Davis Square um, in Somerville near Boston which was also subterranean and I believe um, they had decorated with like 1920s black and white photos and um, a lot of these places would still require a password or um I think one of them, you phone them and you say, I'm here for the old lady's funeral. (laughs) Um, So they would be tucked away. For example, in the Camden here in Dublin on Camden Street, um, there's Noel and Annie speakeasy. uh, And that's hidden at the back of the building behind what I believe is the largest sports screen in Europe. Really? Yeah. I think it was called the Palace. Ah, yeah, and um, that's where Five Lamps Brewery, which you're drinking, Katie, yeah. um, that's where they have their tour and tasting. Oh, okay. um, so during the tour, I got to see the speakeasy, which I wouldn't have known existed um, if I hadn't read the, the website. Um, and I've been to a couple of places in San Francisco. Um, one's called Speakeasy Ales and Loggers. And they started out making one beer, and that was called their Prohibition Ale. Yeah, and they they use that same imagery, and even their logo um, kind of has, like, cryptic eyes. Um, and they say, join our mob, no password required. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then 21st Amendment Brewery, which is also in San Francisco, um, they said once society was able to reclaim the neighborhood gathering place, you know, this became a catalyst for kind of rebuilding that pub scene. So, so interesting. I have a fun story about the 21st Amendment, which is there is uh, local TV news footage of me being interviewed at the 21st Amendment uh, back in the 1990s, uh, sort of 1999-2000-ish, as the dot-com uh, crash was happening. I went to the 21st Amendment to go to a party uh, sponsored by uh, a, a website. Uh, are we allowed to say? I can't remember that. I went to a fucked company party website, website party uh, because the dot-com I worked for was on their website, which is when you knew that your company was going down the drain. <laughs> There's some lovely footage of me, slightly tipsy, young, wearing a great jacket, though, let me just put that <laughs> um, uh, But basically being interviewed at the 21st Amendment about my, my company going, you know, I think we might need to link that in our show notes. Yes. Yes. Definitely. For posterity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. they have a hell or high water uh, 
watermelon beer, Ooh. and they actually put a slice of watermelon in the glass. That's fun. So, yeah. That's fun. Delicious. I had a watermelon lager once, actually. It was delicious. You wouldn't think that that would go together, but it was it was subtle. Um, was it a lager? I can't remember. Anyway, it was delicious. Watermelon is a very subtle flavor. Exactly. And and that's why I think it was a lager, because it was quite, um, it it didn't overpower the lageriness. Like a parallel, you know, the hops would have taken over. Whereas with the watermelon lager, like it was, it was the right thing, it was divine. Anyway. Listen, speakeasies are, um, I've never actually understood what a speakeasy was. Like, I'm honest. I, 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 I don't, like the word doesn't make sense to me as like an underground pub. But it leads really nicely into Shabins. Yes. Now, Shabins are ones that I'm very familiar with. <laughs> so, so for those that don't know, Shabins are effectively illicit or illegal taverns. And they would have been run, um, in Ireland, they would have been run from homes. But anywhere, you know, they could be run anywhere. As long as it was kind of hidden, out of sight, um, and, and they were they were not licensed. So this was people who were buying booze of their own or making booze. They were making pochine um, or just, you know, distilling or making their own beer or their own spirits and selling it as a gathering point and away from, you know, the legal authorities and all of that. Yeah, and I suppose yeah. in Ireland, licensing was quite restricted. Okay? Exactly. So, so having a pub license was basically your livelihood. That's it. And there were a That's limited it. number of licenses. Mm. Um, and you, it, was, it was expensive to buy a license. Yes. You know? And there's a class element too where eventually the publicans are ones so sort of, they end up being sort of higher class because they can afford them. But right. then there's a grocer's license and we'll, we'll get into that if it goes a little yeah. bit more. Right. But, Right, in this case, no, ah, no license. No license. Well, exactly. So, so think about think about a speakeasy during prohibition. It was a way of, you know, allowing people to drink in public with friends. You know, doing all the things because there was some sort of restriction. Similarly, if you were avoiding taxes or licensing, you would have had a shabin. That's in Ireland anyway. And I know that um, there was a shabin in Limerick. And they, yes. uh, have you got no? You can you can this? go for it. You can um, go for it. There is a shabin in Limerick, and in order to so they, you're not allowed, it's illegal to sell alcohol unless you have a license so mm-hmm. what they were saying is like well we're not selling it people can take it and if they want to leave a donation yes. they can that's it. so they were like listen what are we doing that's wrong sure do you know what's so funny is that that's the way that um, our homebrew club in South Africa ran is that we used to have festivals in such a way that you weren't buying beer from the brewers you paid an entrance fee and you got the beer for free so you see there was no exchange of money for beer yeah <laughs> so that's how we got around the licensing thing so people have been doing this for years you know since the first the first use of shabin as a word was in the 1700s it's like 1781 was the first time that somebody noted down a shabin that's in ireland now what is really interesting to me anyway because obviously i'm south african there is a direct connection to south africa with this south africa still has live and well shabins but not in the in the illegal sense. So nowadays, um, shabins are often licensed, but very informal places where people can go and drink. And they might look like a house, or there might be a room in a house. Sometimes they're just a window with some guarding gate or whatever on it, and you have to like just knock a specific way, and you can buy your boots. So it can it can vary, right? But but um, shabins are so part of South African culture that I was really interested to see like where they came from and, and when I first learned that Shabin was actually not a South African thing it was actually an Irish thing like I was my mind was blown it was so cool so cool how did the word Shabin end up in South Africa? well th- that, that's a good question but I think it's because of immigration so so because because Irish immigrants during the famine and otherwise left all over the place Shabin the word and the, the concept has popped up all over the world but a lot of it is in Southern Africa. So Namibia, Botswana, South Africa, um, you, you know, a lot of places where people will have settled are where Shabins, the word and the concept happened. And it's not to say that there wasn't a word for this before. It's just that it took over, the, the name came from the Irish. And um, Shabins in South Africa were really interesting because um, they were, same, same as in Ireland, they were illegal places to drink. Except that most of the time they were in townships. And the really big prominence of Shabins was during apartheid, where black people were not allowed in pubs or in public spaces where white people would have been drinking, right? So they had effectively their own little spots, their own 
little informal pubs. And I mean, obviously, the fact that you didn't have licensing and all of that as well was it was a handy extra. <laughs> but it wasn't the reason that they started. The reason that they started was so that people who were marginalised and prosecuted had their own ways of gathering. So shabins are so um, prominent and so important to South African culture. It's it, it, it's really amazing, and I mean, it's one of those things that when you grow up in South Africa, especially you know, my perspective is obviously as a white person, so like a white sort of middle class person. But it's almost one of those things that you have to go through, is that you have to find yourself in a shabin one day, you know, as a teenager or as an early adult. That is so cool. Yeah, it's and so it's, cool. Until you mentioned, I did not know that shabin was a, a word used outside yeah, of Ireland. Exactly. You know. So so it's weird because the, the words have been used in a, in a number of different countries and countries where Irish people have settled. But in South Africa, it is still used on the day. Like, yeah. it's, it's still such a thing um, that it's actually, it's almost like South Africa uses the word now more than Ireland. Yeah. So, so Shabin is a, it's, it's a fundamental construct of South African culture. And I yeah. know that uh, Shabins in Ireland went a bit mad there during COVID when all the yes, pubs were closed. Exactly. So, so that I wanted to mention that because there was a bit of a renaissance in the sense of Shabins during COVID because guess what? People wanted to gather and they wanted to drink. So what did they do? They open up Shabins from their houses. They'd get their friends over. They'd buy a whole bunch of booze because you can still buy alcohol. And so you know, it wasn't that you were making it, but you could still buy alcohol and then sell it or give it away or do whatever. And the gathering some part. of the setups are pretty spectacular. Yeah, like, yeah. It's not like they're doing it from their utility room. They might have like a garden, uh, like a quite a large garden shed with exactly. a bathroom and it's all decked out. And um, I know that a lot of, I suppose, maybe antique shops that would sell like pub paraphernalia yes. all sold out of their stock right. over, over our lockdown because people were kitting out their sheepings at home. That's and, it. Yeah. And, and, and it's so funny because I think that now here and especially during COVID there was there was a huge upsurge of let's make the shade into a pub kind of vibe, you know? And and, and often people will call it their shipping. Because yes. it is obviously unlicensed, but they'll put a bar and they'll decorate it so it's like a pub at home. And I think that's obviously a symptom of missing pub life and you know missing being around people. But um, it's uh, it, it, it did. It went through a big upsurge, and there were a good few arrests here during during COVID times um, of people who were illegally selling booze and beer in their shibis. Now, there's, there's probably one more thing which I think is interesting, but um, in South Africa, and Africa at large, but in South Africa specifically, there is a term called a Shabin Queen. Ooh. I know, isn't it fun? Do you want to be a Shabin Queen? Is it a good of course queen? I want to be a Shabin Queen. Shabin Queen is the, the head of the Shabin. It's the person who is normally brewing or distilling the spirits. So, so oftentimes, now we've spoken about how women were always the original brewers in history, and that is exactly the same in Africa, so that, you know, all, all over the world. Now, what would happen is that women traditionally owned and ran shabins back in the day, in a similar way that women would own um, uh, taverns or they'd start brothels. You know, there was a supply and demand issue, and women took it up, especially if their men um, were out working or, you know, shipped off because of the color of their skin or you know something equally awful so women took it up as a way of, of surviving women in south africa would brew mkumboti mkumboti let me just say it correctly there's a click there mkumboti which is a sorghum and maize beer it's generally a 48 hour or so fermentation so it's quite quick. oh really yeah it's very quick it's very quick it's very fresh um, but it's not the beer that, that, say, you and I would know in a sort of Western or European central world. It's not clear. It's quite sour. So it's quite sour. It's almost lactic-y sour. So it was like a, um, yeah, lactic-y sour, but delicious. Like it can be made in so many beautiful ways. But Shabin Queen was the, the woman who brewed or distilled spirits and who owned the Shabin and who used to run the shop. So... That was it. Love it. I think yeah. we need some merch with that yeah. on. To be queen. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. No, I do love it. I do love it. And I think we should have a beer lady she been somewhere. Ooh. Yes. I volunteer my house. I'm just going to say Considering I brew, you know. Yeah. You can be yeah. a she been queen. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'll take it. <laughs> and, uh, and maybe one last fact, but like, she the word was, was noted in the 1780s. 
in Ireland. In the 1800s, it was noted in South Africa. So very close together, very yeah. close together. So we're very, very linked. There's a good few articles which we'll link some in the in the show notes about how the two countries are linked. And Ireland and South Africa are actually linked in a lot of ways. But in this specific way, um, Shabins are, are the one thing that we really do have in common. And um, yeah, Shabins, Shabins are great. It really is a bit of a rite of passage in South Africa. That is um, fascinating. I know, isn't it I fun? just find that so fascinating. I went to Shabins a lot as a teenager. And because... Because they, they, they were places that also you could buy beer for way cheaper. You know, it's not yeah. like going to a bar where you've got like this massive markup and you'd buy quartz. So, you know, 750 ml bottles of black label, which we'd call Zamalek. So, so Zamalek would come in 750 ml bottles and we'd just buy like a whole bunch of them. And also they would be open later. So if, if you were irresponsible, like I was as a teenager, and you'd been drinking the whole night but you ran out of booze, you'd drive <laughs> to your local Shabin if you found it, because you can't always see them. They're very hidden. Even though everyone knows they exist, but they're still very hidden. Um, so you'd, if you knew where your local Shabin was, you could go there at 3 in the morning and still buy booze. Like, they would serve, because supply and demand. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I had only fun. heard of this term Shabin during yeah. lockdown, despite living here for a long time. Oh, so. really? Yeah, you taught me a lot just there. There we go. <laughs> and there is there is a pub in uh, Galway called the Shabin. Yeah. So, there we go. There yeah. you go. I, I love how it's just transplanted. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Shabin is so cool. The Shabin Queen is awesome. No, I love, I love Shabins. Yeah. Shabins are so fun. Okay. And being that we're sitting in an early house, I know Lisa mm. has been tasked with telling us all about the history of the early house. I, I, I will. I'll, I'll first go back a little bit to some things that happened before the early house gets its official licensing. Ooh. Because... It's, it's where the spirit grows there. A little bit. Okay. <laughs> if, if we went through a whole history of Irish licensing, we would be here a long time and okay. would be very, very, very tired. <laughs> uh, well, that's not entirely true. Some of it's actually very interesting in terms of what all comes in place. But one of the things, I think, if we're thinking about kind of these off, sort of off hours, I won't say after hours, because, you know, we're thinking of another dimension, but we'll start off with sort of the bona fides or bona fides. So... This is very interesting because this is, you know, when your regular pubs closed at 11, like this is sort of, sort of 30s, 40s, 50s, you could still go to some of these other pubs. And, and I'm presuming, although I've not been able to find direct evidence for this, but I'm assuming that a lot of 11 p.m. closing would have come from pre-independence when the laws had changed in Britain to do with the First World War, where suddenly they had restrictions on what pubs could and couldn't open. So there's a lot of these things that people think of as kind of, well, these were the laws from time immemorial. Now, a lot of these came in with the First World War, and, you know, to do with this sort of early rationing and, you know, just sort of making sure people were going to be at their factory jobs on time, etc. But, again, this is where the piece of it is context you know, sort of again, 30s, 40s, 50s, when your regular pub closes at 11, you can still go to a bona fide house or bona fide, which let you go back to, uh, you could go three miles or five in Dublin from your usual place of residence <laughs> to drink after hours, and uh, so, so again, I, I like, uh, I'm looking at an old, um, here to me, uh, blog post where some creative drinkers would send a letter to themselves using the address of a friend who the required distance away from the <laughs> That's the way, okay, ingenuity yeah. at its best. Love it. Absolutely. And, and again, I love that this is perfectly legal. You're, you're within the letter of the law. You're just, you know, <laughs> Literally. Exactly. But it's, it's literally, uh, but it's, you know, it, it's all making sure. And if, if you go sort of look into the history, it's a lot of times it is sort of, the law giving themselves the, the rights to be at these places. You know, it wasn't just a blind eye, it was a very active, you know, ah, this is my particular one. And would the lock-ins kind of be a gray area then? Well, it, it's interesting because I feel like anyone yeah. could have a lock-in. Uh, there's not a license for this, whereas with this, it's technically you know, within, again, within the law, but there was at least one bona fide on each main road out of Dublin. So there was one in the Dublin Mountain, one in Sandyford, one in Dartry. One in Santry, Valley Rock, Ghosttown, but Katie, of interest to you, the Dead Man's Inn at Lucan. And I have, I have had a pint in the Dead Man's Inn and I never Aww. knew this. Yes. <laughs> so if you go to Litty Valley it, yeah. and you take the footbridge across the N4, um, just behind there's like a fence there that's the Dead Man's Inn and that used to be a fortified. 
I never knew that. So now, if, you, if you're out late, and you know, I, I know. Well, they're currently not. They're unfortunately, currently. no. Unfortunately, yes, that all went away, I think, in the 1960s. Now, also refer briefly to kicks, which were your brothel cum. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for fifteen dollars a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile. slash switch. Upfront payment of forty five dollars, equivalent to fifteen dollars per month, unlimited over forty gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at four eighty p. Active Mint customers by five thirty one twenty four get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May thirty first, twenty twenty four. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I'm wondering, is that where the because in in Irish uh, lingo, kip is a like a, not a nice looking place. Right, it's, it's a place that's a shithole, basically. Yes. Well, exactly. And they want to serve you your whiskey or gin. Probably not. This is not good whiskey or gin. I'm <laughs> um, and again, you could you could make a friend. And some of these were spelling. What do you mean by you could make a friend? If you exchange cash, you could. Make oh, a okay. Oh. Okay. Now, quick question: With the yeah. inn, would that involve people staying overnight there, like a sort of accommodation, or not necessarily? It could, and there's a whole there's a whole division between sort of inns, taverns, and alehouses that goes back much, much, much further, even kind of pre-licensing, if, if you like. Although there will be people sort of going and saying, "Oh, even under Breton law, you have to get certain licenses." And then when the Normans turn up, there are different licenses, but you don't really get proper licenses until sort of the 17th century in Ireland. So when people are saying, mm. oh, we have the oldest pub, we have the oldest pub, and I know right. we've talked about this before. It's and a little know, bit of a marketing yeah. term these days, isn't yeah. it? And I know under mm. Breton law, pubs were open 24 hours. And that made it much more about hospitality. Yes. Because if you right. were not giving people your hospitality, you were a bad person. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's both a sort of social obligation and a business to... Mm. And I suppose, like, uh, if you were traveling throughout the country, obviously you'd be on horses or on foot, or yeah. so you would be gasping for absolutely for a drop, you know, when you got there. You didn't want it to be closed. Absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, it, it's a completely different sort of sort of thing. And, and again, it's it's hard to trace any individual pub that's either still open now or sort of has the. Let's say the legend of still being open then to any of those, but you know, we do have those that have had licenses from the 17th century onward here and there, but again, it doesn't mean it's necessarily the same building or anything like that. There's a lot of, this is where you get a lot of gray areas, is whether or not something is, or who has kind of the oldest, because people like to have the oldest and do we want to call out the two contenders or not? Mm-hmm. Let people do their own research. Let people do their own research. Although we've called them up before to say, yes, fine. And it's lovely fine. So, you know, a lot there. But, but I think just to, to sort of finish up on the case, which is one of the brothels, they tend to be all in the area we are recording in right now. So Ooh. just off Eagle Street, sort of Carmel Square. But this is again since 
really going into the 1960s and 70s, so just be aware that this is still going on, you know, I feel like we're still kind of gentrifying, if you like, around here. Yeah. But, you know, that was still very much uh, part of the, the culture in a way that we don't think of. Yeah, like I came to Dublin in the 90s to go to college, and I think Cape Street had started gentrification, but the renowned street at that time would have been Ben Bird Street, which is the Smithfield. Yeah. Oh. It's weird because now I don't, well, I don't live in town anywhere, but I, like, I don't associate that even necessarily. No? Yeah. Yeah, but there's a lot of folk music, or there's a lot of folk songs that will reference specific streets or specific establishments, so there's a lot of interesting stuff there. But getting back to the early houses specifically, the licensing first comes in in 1927 to say, yes, they can open at 7 a.m. And again, like what we said before, initially to cater to your dock workers or people over at the Ivy Markets or otherwise the Smithfield as well, you know, really working at these kind of say, well, off-hours jobs, and then more recently catering to people who work, you know, for example, in the hospitals, right. things like that, but in 2008, they actually tried to get rid of the legislation that they <gasps> don't Don't ever. But then here's the thing, and, and it's because it was all driven by this sort of, you know, effectively temperance law, but it's like, oh, oh, all of the whole bad, bad, you know. Um, but, you know, no one could actually show evidence of any of these early houses being, and I'm air quoting here, this was not where people were causing problems. No. This isn't, you know, you know, there aren't like young people spilling out it, on the morning. It actually does feel extra civilized to drink yeah. at a stupid yeah. early time, but you're only going to have two or three, and then you're going to kind of go home and get on with the rest of your day anyway. It's, it's not like going out at night where, you know, you'd be much more tempted to just be a hooligan. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure it's different on Paddy's Day, but otherwise... Oh, sure. Ooh, I hadn't thought of that. New Paddy's Day plan. <laughs> but it's interesting that some of the argument for getting rid of them, too, was like, ah, oh, but these people, these jobs don't even exist now. But, of course, you... Of course they do. now, so many more people doing mm, shit yeah. work and working, you know. So yeah, many manufacturing companies, yeah. pharma, tech... Breweries. They, breweries. They all work, yes. Yeah, working shifts. A lot of breweries do 24-hour shifts. So, I mean, you know, imagine. Um, but, 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 but even within, you know, Ireland in particular has got a big pharmaceutical industry. 100%. And that's the industry my husband is in. And there's a lot of shift work that goes yes. on in those industries. Anything industrial has got shift work. Because there is just no such thing as a 9 to 5 in no. industry. There isn't. So I think it's nice that early pubs exist, or early houses exist. Yeah, I also think that um, if you're getting into like transatlantic flights from the US, you usually arrive in at about 6 a.m. in the morning. Yeah, perfect. And you're starving. And and the regular pubs and restaurants usually don't open till eight or nine. And it's like. Eight or nine? No, they don't. The only open is like eleven. Oh, the pubs. Oh, but yes. even like even yeah, oh, cafes, oh, coffee open. shops and things. Yes, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. I, well, I, mean, I think just to follow up on that, there are only a few that are still actually open. So was it um, Guinness? They used to give their employees two pints for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and like also a snack, like eight a day or something. Yeah, because they were. Ooh. So, with what we'd love to do is, while some of these early house licenses still exist, a lot of them are not being used. There are individual pubs that still have them, but may not be using them. But here in Dublin, like we said, we're in Slattery's on Cable Street, so they're, they're very much using it. The Windjammer, we think, is still using theirs, but mm. they're up for sale, too, so we don't know how that's going to work. COVID probably also didn't help, you know? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. But if you do go, if you need to take an early train, if you're going out of Houston, the Galway Hooker there technically is open. All right. Yeah. Early in the morning, so so they're good. But those are, you know, and I'm looking at the list from 2019 of other early houses. I don't know that a lot of these are still open. Some of them are open early on a particular day, like for if it's like GAA or yeah. some yes. kind of. So, like the Woolshed, for instance, which is up on Parnell Street, they will open sometimes quite early depending on the sport that's going on because yeah. they're very much a sport focused bar. So, I know for the Rugby World Cup that in 2019, they opened at nine or yeah, half they eight. Got they got a special license for that. Yeah. It's not a normal license, but they got special permission and to also open early. And exactly. the Super Bowl in the US there we go. doesn't start until 11.30 oh, p.m. Exactly. Yeah. So they'll yeah. have special licenses for that. 
But it's nice that pubs can um, can adjust to what people need and want because not everything's going to happen in one time zone or in one section. And I, I think that um, you you find them in the urban centres. Like Cork, I know, has some early houses. Yeah. But I'm not so sure about Limerick and Galway. That's a good question. We'll have to play sure. I know there's some good footage uh, in the 1970s of the early houses in Cork. And it's, of course, you know, very much an economic downturn. People have gone to the docks to find work. There was no work. So they go to the early house, and at least they can, you know, catch up with people and, you know, instrumentalize. Yeah, sure, yeah. Her. And people are singing. There's, like, it's, it's a lovely video. Again, we'll, we'll try to dig it up and link to it. But uh, I actually got a tip for that. Uh, shout out to Kian from uh, Wide Legend Weird. Uh, uh, said, oh, look up this video of the early house in Cork. You'll enjoy. Good on Kian. Yeah, so thank you, Kian. And I also thank you for giving us a couple pints. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And if anybody else wants to buy us a pint, mm-hmm. yes. yeah, we call it buy a coffee. It's really a pint. Yeah, We're it's not drinking it's, coffee. Exactly. It's buy me a coffee forward slash beer ladies pod. And I'd also like to thank Will and Padraig at the Business of Beverages for Absolutely. buying us our Absolutely. pints as well. Yeah. Yes, and that, that kind of thing, dear listeners, we can do more of these kind of on-site recordings as, as we get slightly better equipment on the way. Yeah. So thank you. So slight aside there, but again, yep. it all fits in with this kind of theme. Yeah. You know, it's, you wonder too, like, do we need more early houses versus fewer? Like, more and more people doing a shift work. Yeah. Because the economy, you know, if you finish doing your delivery, you know, at yes. five or six a.m., you want to be able to get something. You've finished your day before you go to bed. You know? but, but also, I think that making them more accessible to suburban areas would be good. Yeah. Because, because they're always like in town where people need to walk or catch trains or buses, which is great. But People who are working shift hours are not always in the center of things, you know. And it doesn't mean that they have to only be early houses, but they just could be the kinds of bars or pubs that are open slightly earlier, you know. Um, I don't, you know, it, it, it actually horrified me. I was in London for a stopover when I was on my way here to Ireland, but for a, for a trip, not, not when I moved for, for a trip here. And um, I, I got into London and I had about eight hours in London and I was like, grand. I'm going to find some pubs, I'm going to drink some beer, cast beer, you know, I'm going to do all the things, like real ale and all that shit. And then I was there for about two hours before the first pub opened. And I was like, this is ridiculous. So I walked around, and I'm like, look, it's all grand, but I've walked around London a million times. I didn't want to walk around London, I wanted to drink. <laughs> At least you're in transit. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like I had a long layover, and I wanted to use the time to drink a few beers, try some cask ale, you know, do all the things. And Jesus, I had to wait for so long for things to be open. Yeah, but I was there are one or two pubs in London that do open again, kind of historically for reasons. There you go. In that they were for people working in the markets or you know, that kind of thing. But you have to know where they are. Exactly. You it's like an insider's you know, yeah. tip, you know? Exactly. exactly. And you have to travel to them, to your point. They're going to be exactly. very specific in terms of location. You can't just... And sometimes you, if you do just kind of rock up, they may not want you there to be a little less welcoming. So I think, there, yeah. I think that's a difference, too, between some things you might see other ways, other places versus here, you know, in Ireland. There's a little more... Have everyone, you know, yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. It's yeah. more egalitarian, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, we're here in the bar of Slattery's because yeah. the bar is the only area of Slattery's that is open Ooh. early on. Right. There is also a lounge in Slattery's. What's the difference between a bar and a lounge? Well, basically, the difference between a bar and a lounge is to make it more welcoming for women. Really, yes, no way. So, about the time of World War Two, yeah. Uh, like the, the early early 1940s, it was like women were going to pubs a little bit more. So I'll, I'll segue into it. Before we had the lounges, we had these areas in Irish pubs called the snug. I love a snug. I love a good snug. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of people don't know what a snug is. There is a very uh, easy, for people who haven't been to Ireland, never been to Ireland, you might have seen the show Peaky Blinders. Mm. <laughs> What's the name of the family? The Shelbys, right? So mm. they're in a pub, and I don't know if you know, there's like a little room that mm. they go into that's in the pub, mm. but it's kind of self-enclosed. Often in the front, isn't it? It's, it's sometimes in the front. Yeah. Um, sometimes it has a little hatch, ah. so that you don't actually have to leave your snug Ooh. to get the bar person's attention, and you can get all of, all of your beers delivered yeah. to the snug. 
So snub would have been um, quite common in, in an Irish pub. And the main people who went to a snub would have been the women because they wouldn't mix the man. But well, the pubs weren't really welcoming to it. Um, and, you know, that was there were some pubs that still didn't serve women in Ireland in the 80s. Wasn't it only abolished in the nineties? I'm gonna say, yeah. I don't know. I, I can't. I don't. I haven't researched the exact date. So, but it's it's recent. Is it one of those things though, where the law hadn't been abolished because it was just ignored, or was it a thing that was enforced and then abolished? Do it we know? Wasn't enforced. Okay, that's what I thought as well. Yeah, it probably was one of those weird laws that existed but oh, wasn't yeah. enforced for a long time. And this goes back to a bit about spirit grocers again, because again, a lot of this goes to specifically women drinking or which I yeah. mean, women drink. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. How dare we? Exactly. But it's interesting in that, you know, the, the first like the spirit grocers spirit grocers license is introduced in seventeen ninety one. And we'll, we'll get to why again in a minute. But they because it goes until nineteen ten. So this is a very long wow. You know, it's going to be under this act, any grocer, grocer, dealing in tea, sugar, pepper, chocolate, and other basic commodities. I'm like, thank you for acknowledging chocolate as a basic commodity. Yes, it is one of the main food groups. We have established this already. Along with cheese and yes. Yes. <laughs> so you can get a liquor license that would allow you to sell any quantity of spirits not exceeding two quarts for. Consumption off, consumption off the premises, but so again, this is where it gets weird. So they did not need the certificate of good character that you needed to get the pub license, and this is why it's a little bit cheaper. This is why again, there's kind of a whole class element to this. But it says at the outset, it was naively reasoned that the Spirit Grocers Act would spare women the moral danger having to enter public houses to purchase spirits. I know. My, I, I often feel that my morals are in severe danger when I step inside a from Yeah. Dublin Pub Life and Lauren Oral History. So this is a book that we'll get in the show notes. But, but because it was basically sort of women focused, women who couldn't be otherwise seen would be going in like, uh, you know, I'm going to my groceries and sure maybe I'll have a wee Yeah, exactly. But then it apparently sort of. Lots of women into alcohols because this was where they could go, they could get a drink, and then maybe another, and then maybe another, and then maybe another. This drinking is fun. It's very like women focused on I like this video, sort of uh, women who would dare not risk being seen in a public house had no compunction about slipping into a spirit grocer's and sipping away contentedly behind high stacks of biscuit tins. I'm like, I love that. I feel those women, honestly. And would places like Al Mulligan Grocer have. Anything if you said grocer after, yeah, they did not originally had a public license to get so much money. So if it's got grocer, you know, you can assume that they. Had the grocer's license originally, and I suppose um, in the, in I suppose the 60s, 70s, 80s, pubs multitasked. Oh, right. so, so yeah, you have your the the grocer, the spirit grocers, who then got a license, so yeah. they would have be the local grocery shop shop and the license. But then there was also a law to say that you could store a dead body in in yes. a pub cellar. <laughs> so a lot of pubs would house undertakers also. Wow! Yeah, yeah, that's that's wow. quite a common thing in rural Ireland. Anyway. Oh, really? Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah, and, and I love this bit too. It says you know a lot of the grocers would essentially pay a young boy to stand outside and wait to see if they were the police, and then they go and tip him off. Employment, if you like. Um, and one more quote: uh, One dismayed observer alleged that many spirit grocers operate as legal public houses catering to. The weaknesses of women. Oh, honestly. So here we go. Yeah. So we, here we go. A great deal of the drinking habits among females. Yeah, let's pause here. You know, when they say females, the same women. Thank you. You know where this is going. Female yeah. is an adjective, right? Yes. Not a noun. Not a noun. This is not inclusive. This is no. No. What? To the spirit process. Hold on. Pause. We're going to do it again. I attribute a great deal of the drinking habits among females to the spirit grocers, which are about the very worst houses to which licenses have been granted. At first, a female would not like to go into a public house. Pause there again, because... Dramatic effects. Yeah. Could, we, could we have an audible eye roll here? Oh, exactly. <laughs> but would have no objection to go into a spirit grocer's house, either to buy groceries or otherwise, and 
there she becomes more or less tempted to take a drink. I mean, come on, we've all been to the shop. Oh my god! It's like, do I get the bag of potatoes? Oh my god, I'm so tempted to have a drink now. As long as the grocer is allowed to sell one glass of spirits and keeps a watch upon his door, his shop is literally nothing better than a public house license for consumption on the premises. Ah, uh, you know what? You know what, lads? Honestly. If, if I was a woman in those times, I would have been friggin' drinking as well. Because clearly the world was so shit that actually, and, and to drink in peace, if you had to go into a friggin' grocer to just yeah. drink in peace. Well, this bargain. is where the snubs came in. Because yes. the, so the women could go in and drink there, but they were like shielded from the. And I think that's a really good concept during COVID because you've got your social distancing. Yes. And also, like, it's very private, so you don't want people looking at you or hearing yeah. you or, you know. Like, and I was reading up that um, the Gardaí, right, yeah. in Ireland, who are our police force, um, a lot of them were teetotalers, and it was frowned upon for them to drink. So mm. if a Gardaí was fond of an Eldrock in his off time, he would sneak into the snow so snug. that he couldn't be viewed by everybody. Sure. Or maybe the local priest it wasn't, you know, ah, um, didn't want to be a seen so coming yeah. off of the local yeah. priest. If gotcha. Would, you know? But no, was, was it also the case that snugs were a way of um, keeping women away from men, but not for the women's sake, but to have you know, to almost avoid male temptations and things like that. Or, was, or was, am I dreaming about that? Possibly, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. One thing, oh, I'll just say quickly before you dive into this, because this is good. I yeah. think it's going to be good. I feel like they, they sit in a sort of different place in Irish pubs versus in English pubs. Because snubs in English pubs tend to be much more about you, the rich person, are not being looked upon by the Republican or a person behind the bar. You can find behind a snob street. I literally call that if you go to the Lamb in Bloomsbury, gorgeous, gorgeous pub that still has its snob streets. That was what the snub was there to do, was so that you know, the, the person behind the bar does not see you. You are fancy and important and constantly. What to want. So anyway, but I think it's different. Like you're saying, it's much more female focused. Right. Yeah, and um, so I have been uh, having a look at that book that uh, Lisa also referenced, pub, Dublin Pub Life and Lore and Oral History, is written by uh, Kevin Kearns, and he has a beautiful oral history description. So back in, let's say, the late 1800s, uh, plumbing, plumbing, indoor, right. indoor uh, water closets wouldn't have been. <laughs> Uh, quite common. So for men, that's not really that big a problem. But when you women go into a pub, it's like, hmm, what do we do here? And there's lots of stories in the there's lots of stories in the book about women where they go to the pub. But this is a really lovely description that I found, and it says, "It was a terrible thing, all right. No toilets for women. But this publican in Ringsend, he had the first toilet for ladies. How did he manage it? Well, I'll tell you." He got a Jacob's biscuit tin, half filled it with sawdust, and put it in the snug for the ladies. Half filled with sawdust, that was the silencer. <laughs> Niagara Falls, that's true. And I just think that, what an ingenious way, because um, the skirts would have been longer, so we would have been able to do with us was a bit more discreetly than us in our jeans and stuff right. like that today. But isn't that, that's a lovely description. Quite, quite an entertaining description. And do you have a favourite um, snug in Dublin? I know for me it's probably P-Max. Ooh. Or the Bottler's Bank in Rathgar. I don't know if they've really been. I, I love the snug at the Bald Eagle in Finsborough. They have a very nice snug. Um, a couple of in Finsborough have nice snugs, actually. I like the snug in Toners. Yes. Ooh, Toners is a good one. Nice. And I do, there is um, an Instagram page, Double Snugs. Yes. Um, where these two guys go around taking pictures and writing stories about all the different snugs. There and is they... also, shout out to Snugcast, the other beer podcast. Oh, they record well. I mean, before before COVID, they were recording from Snugs yeah. most of the time. So shout out to Snugcast. Hey, yeah. Let's hope you find your pilsner soon. Yes. Which, by the way, is yes. the best name of a beer podcast I've ever heard. <laughs> Just gonna say. And I do, I do follow their rating system. Yes. I do see yes. if I have the Google and Jake, you know. When I see a pilsner. Yes, go oh, back to it several episodes ago, but you go listen to their, yeah, their, their pilsner rating, well worth seeing out. And well worth evaluating yes. any new pilsner, too. Yes. Absolutely. And I have noticed that uh, the pub that used to be called Pisco is now called the Pilsner Pub. That's right, yes. Ah. Yeah, I noticed so, that on Boston today. And they 
de- deal in like Czech, Polish, pills. Slovak beers. Yeah. 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 Ooh, I'm going there. It's and they have really nice Eastern European food as yeah. well. Ooh, yeah. Definitely going there. It's a lovely, a lovely. I've been there a few times. It's lovely in there. Hmm. And the staff are really nice as well. So can we go drink some Pilsners and record another episode? <laughs> we'll have to do um, an episode on Pilsner. Have we, we have to do a Starbucks. That's right. Should, we haven't yes. done one yet. It might be nice if we do a Pilsner versus lager. No, you know, you know, Pilsners yeah. are in the family of lager, but just did a German versus Czech. Yes, yeah. exactly. Ooh, German Czech Pilsner. Great idea. Love it. Let's do it. Sold. Yes, and let's go there. <laughs> Like we're, we're wrapping up. We're yeah, I think recording. we are wrapping up. We're yeah. out of time. Um, we're hoping that this recorded okay with all the background noise and that mm. you like the ambiance. Yeah. It hasn't taken away from the episode. We've no video this week, but we have taken a few pictures. Um, put them on the socials. We'll put them on the socials. So please follow us on all the socials so that you get to see our beautiful faces and uh, our surroundings. Um, we are at Beer Ladies Pod on Instagram, Twitter, on Facebook and then on YouTube we are at Beer Ladies Podcast mm-hmm. you can also as we were talking about buy us a pint yeah so it is a buy me a coffee forward, forward slash Beer Ladies Pod that's it yeah. thank you very much for listening and we'll Thanks see you next week Sancho Sancho come to an early house bye the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.